Uh, hey, you know, if you're visiting with us every June, I try to do something special, and uh, this year is uh, really special. Uh, I made a decision that I wanted to bring back some of the, the guys that have made Big Valley Grace such a great church over the years, guys that are out serving the Lord in different places, but certainly their fingerprints have been left on this place. God has used them and their spouses in some, some great ways, and this week we have Pastor Lonnie Skiles here, and you can see a little bit more uh, about him and where he's at and all that kind of stuff in this sheet of paper here. But there, there's no way we, we could have written uh, something and put it in the program because it would have just been too, too lengthy. And one of the things some of you have no clue about is this. Uh, this church was started uh, years ago, long before I was ever a Christian. There were a few families who began to pray and they sensed that uh, the Lord was calling them to plant a church over on this side of town, if you will. Uh, and some families moved out in faith and one of those families was uh, Lonnie's family. His dad was Ora Skiles, a longtime elder of the church. His mom was Francis, who was a longtime secretary here of the church and they're, they're still alive. But Ora and Francis Skiles stepped out in faith with a few other families and they began this church. Uh, it wasn't called Big Valley Grace back then. But uh, Lonnie was a part of that. And, uh, you know, these men, some, this church was started before some of you were born. In fact, most of you in, probably in this room weren't even born when that happened. But the thing that's interesting, when I thought about Lonnie, and I thought about the Skiles family, is that there was some, some people who, by faith, start this church. And they, you know, Ora ran his leg well. And... Uh, that, that, that baton was passed off to some others and passed off to some others and, and the baton was passed off to me and, and to you. We're all running a, a particular leg of this race here at Big Valley Grace and I don't know when the Lord's gonna come back, but if he tarries his coming, I'm gonna be six feet or eight feet under the ground and so will most of you and there'll be a whole other generation of people who will run their legs of the, of the race. And uh, Lonnie certainly is a guy who impacted lots of people, but especially me. He was somebody that I could look up to and say, God, I'd like to be like that guy someday. Help me be like that guy someday. And uh, anyway, it was just a no-brainer that we'd have him kind of kick off our, our summer series here of different uh, families that have been a part of our church, pastors here. And so would you welcome my friend up here, Lonnie Skiles, right now. I was uh, <clears throat> at Biola College. I don't remember many of the speakers that spoke at our chapels, but there was one that I do remember. I've never forgotten her name. Her name was Ann Kimmel. She was a tiny little skinny gal. She was a few years older. Um, just found out yesterday that she's no longer with the Lord. But she was a, just a, a tiny skinny little thing that was in charge of a major youth ministry down in Orange County, and she would start, and she would say, hi, my name is, my name is Ann. I'm a nobody, but I believe in a great big God who can do anything, and that's the truth, right? Yeah. I'm Lonnie, but I'm a nobody, but I do believe in a great big God who could do anything, and, um, you know, as we have the, all these various introductions, may we all decrease till we become invisible so that Christ might shine even more and more and more and that you would see Christ in us and you'd see Christ in Rick. There'll be a time where we, like grass and flowers, will fade away and we'll become just a page of a great book that God is writing because really it is all about him. The Lord says that we are all his workmanship, every one of us here today. Those who are in the venue, those who are here, every single one of you carry a story that God wants to breathe life into. That's the truth. You may be here this afternoon and you might look at your story and say, well, Lana, you don't know my story. My story has lots of brokenness in it. It's not a story that maybe you would have chosen for yourself. Most of us would have those kind of stories. 
but in every one of them, the Lord is exalted when he breathes life into it and breathes newness and freshness and who gets the glory but him, right? When you are very sick and you can't heal yourself, you go to a doctor and Lord willing, he uses that doctor to make you well and you speak with the glories of the doctor who was able to correctly diagnose your difficulty and to give you help. In much the same way when the Lord touches your life, it's he who receives all the honor and the glory. And may he receive the honor and the glory today. I believe with all of my heart that every one of us that's here today is here by God's divine appointment. He has sovereignly arranged our schedules and by God's grace you are here today. I applaud you and the Lord is pleased today that you have chosen the first day of the week that you would set time aside to say, Lord, I want to hear from you today. I want to be with God's people. I want to celebrate his name. The other things that wait outside of this building, they will wait. We can always play baseball. We can always toss Frisbees. We can always have lunch. We can always be with our family. But today I want to be with God's people. And so I'm grateful that you are here, not for my sake, but for his sake. Because he does come. He brings us into these encounters because he wants to speak to every one of us. There's something that he wants to do in each of our lives. And he uses these kind of forms by which... He allows us to maybe examine our hearts with his word and to say, Lord, would you speak to me today? And I would hope that would be your desire that you would hear from the Lord today. It's really him that you need to hear from, not me or Rick or whoever else is here. It is good to be here. Paul says in Philippians chapter one, it's every time I think of you, I remember you with great joy and I praise God for your partnership in the gospel. And I mean that with all of my heart. It has been an awesome privilege to be associated with Big Valley Grace Community Church. I am so grateful for the friendship of Rick and how God used him in my life and the opportunities we had to serve him together for Pastor Darrell and Sherry and the ministry they had and David Seifert who originally called me to be associated in ministry with Big Valley Grace. We had served before him, but it was just great to really, it was, um, it was David who really poured himself into my life and it really, there really is a day that doesn't go by that I do not thank the Lord for you all. I do watch you on Saturday nights from time to time and just so grateful for what God has continued to do here in you. You all are here today because someone had prayed for you. People that you haven't even met has prayed for you. And I was one of them. My family was one of them. And uh, praise God that the Lord has drawn you here to Big Valley. The family that you're beginning to experience, the love that you're growing and sharing with one another, your kids who are being raised here. May God continue to bear great fruit for you. Um, my wife Nancy is here. If, if it wasn't for her and our ministry, I mean, the Lord has wonderfully has put us together and, and she is very much a part of all that we have enjoyed together. It was God who put our story together and it's him. And I would hope that you would see that too, that your story is his story. He's the one that has been forming and putting it all together. Uh, let me just tell, show you a little bit where we're from. We're, uh, for the last four years, we've lived in York, Pennsylvania. This is York. Pennsylvania. I took this picture last week off of a hilltop that's not too far from our home. Um, the river you see in the background is called Susquehanna River. It's a mile wide where we are at. We can't see the river from our church, but if you take a few steps to the left or right, you kind of can. We're on, we are on a high hill right across from a major high school. Uh, we are on a route that thousands of people drive by every day. And we are strategically located. God in his sovereign grace preserved this little hilltop and uh, we are just privileged to be there. It's a great group of, of people. It is a beautiful area. Every day we get out and we, when I drive around, I feel like I'm driving in a Better Homes and Garden calendar. Uh, it is uh, absolutely gorgeous. So if you want to see green sometime, come out to Pennsylvania. We'll show you around. Uh, we do have clouds and we do have rain. A lot of it. <laughs> I wish we had more of it here. I still have a farm here. And I understand uh, the concerns. Um, God in his grace, actually, right after we left, uh, our well went dry. And by God's grace, uh, we had some reserves that we were able to dig a new well on our property because we probably couldn't dig one today. So God's in control of everything. We walk by faith, right? We walk not by sight. And when we're on his journey, we're exactly where he wants us to be. This is our church. In fact, we could probably take this section right here and uh, there's probably as many here in this section as what was in our church this morning. We generally average around 85. It's, it has grown some since we have been there by God's grace. It is all about him. But 
it's just a wonderful place, a great family relationship. We had 22 men there yesterday um, redoing the landscaping around the church. They were part of a Bible study that meets the first Saturday of every month. That is half of the men in our church. So Rich Sasser, wherever you are, there you go. <laughs> we had half, how many did you have? <laughs> and uh, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what's really neat is uh, the, uh, the 22 men were dads and their sons that were there together. And those young boys, those uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade boys were out there with the shovels and the rakes, had a lot of uncles, not by blood, but by in Christ. And those boys have, are treated as men, and it is a sweet, sweet thing that the uh, Lord has, uh, has given to us. There is a verse that has meant a lot to us. We have challenged our church to memorize. If you haven't memorized it, I would encourage you to memorize it so that it's with you and you think about it frequently. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If it's not underlined in your Bible, let me encourage you to do this. It says, now to him, and when you do this, think about every word. Now to him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. God the Father, the Holy Spirit. Now to him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more. Think about what that word means. Can't measure it. It's not barn big enough. It's not a measuring cup big enough. Immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or imagine. I tend to think I have a good imagination, don't you? I think George Lucas is creative. Even his wild thinking is pretty small compared to what the Lord is able to do. And the reason he's able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or imagine is because of what? Of his great power that's at work within us. And it has a real purpose. It's for the glory of Christ Jesus and the church forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's always about him. Your life is meant to be always about him. Boy, I keep thinking about that. That my God who is near is able to do far more than I could ever imagine or dream because of his great power that he extends to me. And if I'm where he is and I'm where I'm supposed to be, he is delighted to use me. And he's delighted to use you in your workplace, in your home, with your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood. So just take your imagination for your neighborhood, for your workplace. Our Lord wants to do immeasurably more than what you can imagine, that your little role might be packing widgets or selling screwdrivers or whatever it is that you do. His power wants to be unleashed through you. He has a plan for each one of us that ultimately results in him receiving all the honor, all the glory. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to walk through the book of Hebrews for just a little bit. and There's more verses here than what we'll be able to go through. And as I read it, I'm going to probably read it a little differently than maybe what you're used to. I'm going to read out of the New International Version, but I'm going to add just a few things. And what I'm adding is really just the depth of the words, the color of the words. Uh, it's what the writer intended to say. Uh, there's, there's a richness of language that we miss when we just see it just in the black and white that's here. Some of you may just want to listen in a little bit. You'll see some notes. Don't feel like you have to write it all down. In fact, there'll be more than what you can write down. Just capture some of these thoughts, but let the Lord speak to you here today. And if you've been visiting, if you're a visitor today and whether you're in the venue, somebody brought you here and this is kind of foreign to you, welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. But what we really would want is the Lord would to speak to us. So let's pray before we read the word. And let's ask God just to speak to us, to open our hearts, to kind of put the stuff away that we tend to think about. And to say, Lord, we want to hear from you here today. So let's bow our heads. Let's be quiet before the Lord. You pray with me as I pray. Lord Jesus, I'm just so grateful. You promised that where two or three would be gathered in your name, there you would be. And so, Lord, you're here today by your grace. Father, it is your joy and your delight that we are assembled here today to say, Lord, we want to hear from you. We confess to you that our faith is way too small. We're too absorbed with doubts and fears in our own, our own selves that 
Father, would you break us free? Would you set us free? That we might be all that you had planned, all that you had desired when you said that we each are your workmanship. That we are handcrafted by you for things that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So Lord, would you use these stories and your word here today to be like a sharp sword that would penetrate the hardnesses of our heart. And Lord, if there's any here today who do not have a relationship with you, that today would be a day of new life and new birth. For those who've been far away from you, Lord, today, who think that their story is too far removed from your mighty hand, that today that they'd be drawn near to you. For any, Lord, that are struggling, that they would find freedom. For any who feel lost, that they would feel found. But by your grace, Lord, you would do your miraculous work through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives here today. So, Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, that we might receive your word for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage of scripture. It is my favorite. When you look into my Bible, you will see it's marked more than any other passage of scripture. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it really is a chapter that has not been finished yet. It just, it moves obviously into chapter 12 and chapter 13, but the writer, if he knew us, could draw from our, should be able to draw from our stories as examples of lives that please God. And that will be the question is, how do we live a life that pleases him? Many of you, in fact, all of us at one time were children. And I know we probably had different parenting experiences, but many of us have had children. And we all love our kids, right? No matter what they do, we still love them. Sometimes they, we get frustrated with them. But there are times where when they come home with a great grade card, when, when maybe they scored that touchdown or they do some significant, you say, man, that's my boy, right? That's my son. That's my girl. And the Lord, in a very similar way, he loves us. He never stops loving us. He never walks away from us. His arms are open wide to us. As you even look at these names, some of these names, if we had time to explore them, you would wonder why they're even here because they, some of them had a scandalous life. Maybe today you feel like, how, Lord, how can you use me? My, I have been so far away from you. And yet as you read this, this is a story of how God takes a heart and takes a life, breathes life into it, and weaves it into his glorious story of his redeeming work. And that's what he wants to do in, every, in each one of us. And so the writer who wrote this, and we don't know his name, was writing to a group of people that had some extreme challenges. You pick up on those challenges in chapter 10, starting in verse 32. We're going to get into 11, but I want to give you the backstory. So if you look back in your Bible, if you're able to, look at verse 32 and just pick up the story here with me. The writer says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. What the writer is referring to is, you remember the time when you first came to Christ? Remember the first time that someone told you the story of his great grace and great mercy and how he receives you and he came not to condemn but to save the lost. He came to rescue you. His arms were open wide. He died on the cross for you. Remember that day when you received the light? And remember that day when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? See, in this day, like it is in some places in the world today, it's very costly to stand with Christ. There are places in the world today, and I know you have wonderful baptisms here, but if you were to go into some of the places in, the, in what we call the 1040 window, which is the, it's a large section of the area of the world that is unreached, when they have a baptism, what you will hear the person who's baptizing them say is, is it true that you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? They're looking for a yes answer and they say, yes, it is. It's the next question that they ask that we don't ask in this context. I doubt that you have ever heard it asked here. We don't ask it in our church, but in their situation, they have to ask the question. The next question is, are you prepared to suffer and die for Jesus Christ? Because what they're about to do when you are baptized sets you apart from their family and friends, separated from their, their cultural faiths, and they're standing and saying, I'm following Christ. And so are you prepared to suffer and die for Jesus Christ? Because that's what this act might mean for you. And these people said yes. And there are people every day who say yes. And some of them don't live very long after they say yes. And 21 men discovered what that meant. 
just a few weeks ago as they were led out into the beach and they had opportunity to change their mind. And they said, no, we'll stand with Christ. That's this story. Look back at verse 33 in chapter 10. This is sometimes after your baptism, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. That means that there were times that their friends were pulled out into the public square and they were criticized and insulted for standing with Christ. And they said, if you're going to do that to them, then do that to me too because we're together. This is my brother and my sister in Christ. Isn't it great to have friends like that? Imagine in your workplace and somebody you have been working with is scandalized because they have dared to share their faith in Christ and they're ridiculed and you're sitting in a desk next to them. It would be that, well, then if you're going to talk that way to her and him, you talk that way to me too because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. That's what it means is that they left their safety and they dared to stand with someone who is receiving insults and persecutions. This is who he is writing to. Look at the next verse. It says, you sympathized, this is in verse 34, you sympathized with, the, with those who were in prison. That was their leadership. Their leadership had been taken away. And these folks were wondering whether, they, whether it was really worth the cost. Was it, was it worth continuing to follow Christ? The writer wants to assure them, yes, keep pressing on, keep following and then he says in verse 30, <clears throat> 34, you also joyfully accepted, accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had something better, a lasting possession. I have a farm. I do have a lot of stuff. I don't like losing my stuff. You ever had anything stolen? Kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? And these people joyfully accepted the loss of their property and their possessions and their stuff for Christ. When they were baptized and they dared to stand with Christ, they lost their homes. They lost some of their stuff and it says they joyfully accepted it. Why? Because they knew there was something better coming. Right? They knew that it was just that they couldn't take it with them. And well, you know, and then praise God that I was counted worthy. And if you could use it, because I got something a whole lot better coming. And that was their motivation is they could look ahead and the writer wants to assure them that you just keep pressing on because it is absolutely true. And so then he goes on to say in verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And this message today is for each one of us that whatever it is that you are facing, whatever trouble and difficulty it is that you might have in your life, Today, you would press on, that you would keep your eyes on Christ. You would keep looking ahead to what he has promised. And you, you would want it so badly that you would say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want you. I want, to, I want to cross that finish line and fall into your arms and hear you say, well done, welcome home. I've been preparing a place just for you. You ran the race well. Yeah, I know you stumbled and fall, but you crossed the line and I'm glad you're home let me show you around. You, and, and whatever it is that you're facing, you face it because you look forward to that, to that day. And so he says, so, so in just a little while, he assures them that Jesus is coming and he will come and he will not delay. And then here's the key, but my righteous ones, they're gonna live by faith. And so the question is, well, what kind of faith is that? What does that mean? Does it mean that the kind of faith that says, yes, Jesus, come into my heart? Is there, what, what are you really talking about? Because he talks about if one shrinks back, the Lord will not be pleased with them. But then he says in verse 39, but we're not in that category. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we're those who believe and are saved. We're in that group. And now he's going to talk about what is this kind of faith that says this is the faith that pleases God. 
So here it goes in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, without faith. Now faith is being so sure. That's what the word means. So sure of what we hope for. It's looking ahead. And so certain of what we do not see that our life has changed. And that's what we're going to see here in these stories is that when those folks who encountered and heard from the Lord that they were willing to risk all to follow him because they were so certain, so convinced that God was true and he was right and he was going to provide, he was going to do exactly what he said he did, that they're willing, risk, willing to risk all to follow him. And here, here we have these stories and it says it's this kind of faith that the ancients were commended for. And so he goes over verse 3 to talk about the kind of God that we trust in. But So it's by faith. We understand that the universe, and when we talk about the universe, we mean all that we see, all that exists from the big nebulas that exist that we see with the Hubble telescope to the tiniest, tiniest little things that we see with the electron microscope and the things that we can't see, all the atoms and the molecules, that's the universe. All of that was made and formed at God's spoken command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Wow. That means that when the Lord decided to make something, he didn't need to go to a something box. <laughs> he started with nothing, folks, nothing. There were no molecules, there were no atoms, there was no electrons until he said, let it be. This is, we're not talking about a higher power. We're talking about the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and is to come, the great I Am, the one who is not way out there, but the one who is here, Amen. who knows how many hairs of my head, who knows the beginning of my days, who said, even before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me. He knew you. Think about that. Before your mom and dad ever got together, he knew you. So how could it ever be that you would ever think that you were an accident? Maybe your birth origin has been challenging for you. And the Lord in his mighty grace gave you life. Because like David, he said, after David fulfilled God's purposes for his generation, he slept. Hopefully you won't go to sleep here today. <laughs> and as long as you have breath and life, God has placed you here in this generation for his purposes. Acts chapter 16. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful to know? That the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, knew you before you were ever formed, before your mommy and daddy ever got together and gave you life for this point in time because he has a plan for you and for me. There's so much here and I'm running out of time. Look at Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away from this life that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. It's a great story. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So he, God looked at Enoch. He was a 307, 300 and some years old. Pretty old. God looked at Enoch's life. His walk was such that Enoch, he said, Enoch, just come on home. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you suffer. I'm not going to let you go through the, the pains of that, those last moments of life. Just come on home. This world is not worthy of you. And so the question is, when you look at this verse 5, which ends, he says that he was commended as one who pleased God. The question should be, well, then how do I please God? How might my, my, my life be such that God would be pleased with my life? And he answers that in, chapter, in verse 6. And here's the kind of faith that we're talking about. The kind of faith that changes your life. There's two elements to it. It's very important you understand these two elements because how you live your life is right here in verse six as to whether or not you really truly believe that this is true. 
So it says in verse six, so without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. And here it comes. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. What does that mean? That he exists and all that he is. Not that he exists as this nameless higher power, but that he exists in all of his character, in all of his attributes, in his righteousness, in his justice, in his omnipotence, in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his mercy, in his loving kindness, in his forgiveness. That's my God. The one who made the heavens and the earth by his spoken word is my God. And he's not far, he is near. And he walks with me and he promised he would never leave me. He would never desert me. And until the end of this age, he would be with me. That's my God. And if your God is something different, your God's too small. Way too small. That's probably why you're struggling. It's because you're holding on to a tiny little God. But when you understand who he really is, and that he's near, and he holds you in the cup of his hand, and he came not to condemn, but to save, why wouldn't you trust him? That's the first part. And the second part goes along with the first. And the second part is that those who come to him not only believe that he exists, but that he will strongly reward those who seek him. Think about that. That means that what he has in store for you and for me is so much better than any pension that you could ever acquire. Any amount of gold or silver you might ever store for yourself. Any amount of house that you could ever build. Any amount of comfort you might ever have. What he has in store is so much better. I wish we had a whole bunch more time. Because when you look at those stories of those individuals, it goes on to say in verse 16 that they had opportunity to change their mind and they didn't. Because they were so looking forward to what the Lord had. Noah had an opportunity to change his mind. We meet Noah when he's 500 years old. We don't know what he did. But at 500 years old, God spoke to him and said, Noah, it's going to rain. And Noah believed God. Folks, if, if there's one thing you walk away from, there is a big difference between believing in God and believing God. There's a huge difference. You understand the difference? There's a lot of people that believe in God. Most, many don't believe him. There are very few people who would say to you, I don't believe in God. And if you are here today and you might be in that category, I don't speak to condemn you. Because if you are in that category or if you have friends who would say, I don't believe that there is a God, you didn't get that way from birth. What that tells me, and I would love to talk with you because everyone that I have ever explored that question with, and I've asked them, well, tell me your story. They have come to that conclusion because of great pain that was in their life. Something terrible had happened to them. The loss of a father, the loss of a mother, loss of something. And it caused them to think that their God doesn't, God doesn't love them. That God is punishing them. God has abandoned them. And they've come to that conclusion, which is right from the enemy. Because I'm here to tell you today that he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's writing a story that includes that pain that he wants to redeem and give breath and life into it and newness that praises him in a phenomenal way. And so for 120 years, Noah builds the boat because he believed God. And for 120 years, he preached a message that it was gonna rain because God said it was gonna rain. Nobody had ever seen it rain. It made no sense for him to build a boat from a human perspective, it was a stupid thing to do. How do you know something that has never been? How can you imagine it when you've never experienced it, never seen it? 
and he's building this boat in the middle of a forest. He's learning how to cut down trees and square them up and stack those timbers and pitch it and doing just, just following God's direction and telling folks, folks, you will want to get in the boat. And they're saying, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's going to rain? I absolutely believe in those days, we had very, they had very few atheists because on any one of those, if you look at the genealogies, any one of them could have gone to Adam and Eve's children and grandchildren and talked to them and they would have had firsthand stories of an encounter with a living God. The issue was not about whether or not they believed or didn't believe in God, it was whether or not they believed that God was gonna do what he said he was going to do. And Noah absolutely sunk his life into doing what God had asked him to do, regardless of what everyone else would said. So for 120 years, he heard people say, come on, Noah, it's been 75 years it hasn't rained. Come on, Noah, you've been talking this story for over 100 years and it hasn't rained. Noah, it's been 119 years and it hasn't rained. When are you gonna stop building that stupid boat? And at any time, Noah could have laid that hammer down and given up. Aren't you glad he didn't give up? <laughs> and it was that kind of faith where Noah clung and hung on to God's promises that God said, I'm proud of that, man. Abraham chose to walk away from a city to go to a land that he had never seen before and chose to live in tents because he was looking forward to a city that God was gonna build. And he says, I want what God has. And I'm willing to camp out the rest of my life. You ever camped out? <laughs> Not fun sleeping in sleeping bags on, on hard ground, right? But he was willing to do that for the, all of his life because he was looking forward to what God had in store for him. Moses, Moses had all the treasures of Egypt. All of them. And he said, you know what? I think I'll let King Tut have those things. King Tut, he can have them, because I, 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 I want what God has. And what the Lord has in store for me is so much better than anything, anything that Pharaoh might ever hand to me. Until you come to grips with who he is and that he is ready to reward you, you won't follow him. But when he says, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things that other people worry about, then you'll follow him if you believe that he is who he says he is, for absolutely sure. Isn't that cool? So, when we look at these things, what do these stories have in common? One, every one of them that are listed there, and there's 18 stories, every one of them there that is listed, every one of them lived a life that was pleasing to God, right? They wouldn't be in it if it wasn't true. But as you look at those stories, some of them have pretty scandalous stories. Samson, you look at Samson's life, my goodness, why is he in this list? But he lived a life in the end, pleasing to God. God was pleased to use him, even in his rebellious circumstances. And you might be here today in a very similar way, being rebellious before God. I'm here today to tell you that God can still redeem your story. Still has a plan for you. you can still, there's still opportunity to walk in obedience and please him. And the things that are ahead of you could, ever, could be greater than you've ever known in the past before. Every one of them that are listed here believed what God said. Every single one of them. If you look through it, that's what they have in common. They dared to believe that what God said was true. And they also said, thought that God, not only did he say these things, but he's able to do these things. So, I mean, you could talk, talk, Right? But can you, can you follow through? Can you do what it is that you say you're going to do? And will you do what you say you're going to do? So he was not only able, but he was willing, and he did. And these people experienced that. And every one of them then was looking forward to what God had in store for them. So then what is faith? Folks, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's also not a positive attitude. It's also not because you're here has nothing to do with being associated with a denomination or some kind of affiliation, that's not faith. I know folks who would say, you have faith? Yes, I have faith, I go to such and such church. That's not faith, folks. And it's also not having a tremendous amount of self-confidence and self-hope. It's not about me and what I can do. I'm not the little train that says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not what faith is. 
And it's also not a general belief that Jesus died for your sins. Many of you raised your hand, went forward, responded to an invitation. You sensed the Holy Spirit knocking on the door and says, yes, I want Jesus. But what we're talking about here is something so much more than that. So much more than that. Life-changing faith is simply believing God. And it is looking forward to the better things that he has in store for us. And so here's a great illustration. I, as I said, I, I have a farm still here in Modesto. I know what it's like to have a great crop. I work, look forward to a, a great crop of almonds. And so when I read Peter's story, I understand. So here's Peter. He's a fisherman. And for him, it wasn't recreational fishing. Some say that a worse day of fishing is better than a bet, bet, great day at work, right? I mean, when you're a fisherman, if you don't catch any fish, that's not a good day if you're making a living out of it. And on this particular day, their whole family, James and John, who were relatives, and his dad, were all in boats, multiple boats. They had caught nothing. They had fished all night. That was a bad day. That means that there's no money. That's like being in commission sales. You go out, you have all of these appointments, and nobody buys anything. And because you're in commission, you receive no check. That's what Peter's was experiencing. And on this day, someone yells from shore and says, hey, why don't you try the other side? And they throw their nets on the other side of all the stupid things to do. And all of a sudden, their boat is filled full with fish. That's money. That is big money. And they bring these boats in that are just, you're standing in knee deep of fish. And this is, this is like hitting the lottery. And Jesus comes to him and he says, Peter, come follow me. And Peter's looking at the boat. He's looking at his dad. He's looking at James and John, the rest of them. And Peter, Jesus says, Peter, why don't you come with me? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter looks at that boat and he looks at Jesus. And he follows Jesus. And he says, Dad, can you take care of the fish? Yeah, son, go ahead. And he says, good. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Later, Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus assured him, says, Peter, even a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, in my name, has a, a wonderful reward that neither moth nor rust consume, and these do not break in and steal. And where this story is significant is because there was another man who was young. He had great wealth. He had lots of stuff. And he came to Jesus, and he said, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, how you doing in keeping the commandments? And he says, hey, I've kept them all. Made your mom and dad? Yeah. Take care of them. Lie, cheat, steal. Been pure in your relationship? Yeah, I've kept them all. Why don't you leave your stuff and come follow me? And he looked at his stuff. And he looked at Jesus. Looked at his stuff. Looked at Jesus. And said, can't do it. Why? One had just as much opportunity as this other guy. Peter believed God, believed Christ. The other man said, no, I don't think you're going to do it, Jesus. I, I just don't think it will be worthwhile. So I'm going to keep my stuff and probably died with it. Probably was buried with it. Had everything and lost it all, didn't he? Lost Gained the whole world, lost his soul. So life-changing faith is simply believing God, looking forward to better things. So what hinders us? We have doubts. Just like this guy, kid over here, didn't really think that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Hurt him. Didn't really believe him. And so sometimes that's us. We, we just really don't believe him. Sometimes it's fear. We're concerned about our safety. Concerned about risk. It's nice and comfortable here. I like being comfortable. Fear is always about what we see in the future. And because we can't see into the future, unless we really know where we're going, we're not going to go there. We want to keep things under control. It keeps us from experiencing God's best in our lives. It does. Sometimes it's sin. We're caught up with sin. We have issues in our life that we are hanging on to and we're controlled by them. And 
Paul says all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not everything's profitable. And so we let things control us and he tells us that we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and he wants us to walk with him and run with him. Sometimes it's family and stuff. When I was here as a missions pastor, I was working with Sam Gibson. Many of you know him. He was working with our young people. And he said the greatest obstacle to young people choosing to go into missions was their mom and dad. Do you know that? It's tr still true today. Because mom and dad says, don't go there. It's not safe there. Stay home. Go to Stan State. Get a good education. Get a good job. Get a good pension. And then maybe, then later, after you raise your grandkids so we could all be together. And they put the fire out of what God's doing in their life. Don't be that. Jesus said, if you love your family, your father, mother, sister, brother, even more than me, you're not worthy of following me. And farms he threw in there of all things. Because one of the things that happens is when the Lord speaks to you, invites you, the opportunities unfold before you, it always requires an adjustment, a change. Noah had to stop doing what he had been doing for 500 years to obey God to build that boat. Peter had to stop doing what he was doing in order to fully follow Christ. And that's not here to say today that he's calling you today to, to leave all of your jobs. But there will be times where you'll be invited where you will have to step out. Many of you know Scott Miller. I remember the day when he came on staff. He left a very good commissioning job to come work at Big Valley and we didn't pay real well. <laughs> and I said, Scott, you sure you know what you're doing? you got a home, you got a family, you got some kids. And many, some of you are here today because he dared to trust the Lord. And you're the fruit that God wanted to accomplish through Scott's life. All he had to do, and he was just saying, Scott, will you just trust me? And today he's able to serve with his son, Tim. A wonderful gift God has given to him. I remember the day John Fraoli left his CPA firm. He could be in a partner today making a whole lot more money. I am so glad today that he left and became a part of Big Valley because I call him all the time, ask him how to run a church, how to do, structure things financially. And, and we are here today because of men like him and others that decided to say, Lord, I want to follow you and give my life to serve you. Lord may be calling you today. He may be speaking to you today. You may be sitting on an edge. You've been holding back because you've been absorbed with doubts and fears. And I'm here today to just encourage you that our God is a great God. He's a mighty God. He's a near God. He's a God who is able to do more than you could ever imagine. And all he wants from us is just to say yes. That's it. Just to say yes. When you study the scriptures, whenever God approached a person and said, come follow me, they all had excuses. Moses said, I can't do it. God, who am I? Nobody knows me. I can't even speak right. Who's going to believe me? And as you read Exodus 3 and 4, God over and over and over again said, Moses, just say yes and see what I will do. Just say yes. David, there were a lot better guys that could have fought Goliath than him. Everybody was, captured, was, was absorbed with doubt and fear because they saw an eight-foot guy, a victorious warrior, and finally David says, listen, he's just an eight-footer. My God's a lot bigger than eight foot, and he's with me. And, you know, I'll just use some things that I know. I'll use a few rocks, but it'll be God who will fight this thing for me. And God was so pleased that David said yes. I could go on and on and on. He is so pleased when you and I say yes. You may be here today. You've been holding back. I don't want to invite you to say yes. I don't know what that might be for you. We had, I need to wrap this up. <laughs> I don't know what you're struggling with. But I do know the Lord invites us to say yes and to trust him. If we were to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the things that most of us wrestle with, God will provide if we will really trust him. I know the, the way to get from here to here begins in prayer. That for, I don't know what it is the Lord wants you to do, but you don't go from here to here without prayer. And we're gonna close this service in just a moment. And I know there's gonna be a group of people over here under the altar that are willing to pray. And if God has been speaking to you today, I encourage you to do business with him. 
and to be honest and transparent and just say, you know, I've been holding back and I want to trust the Lord I, I don't, and, and share what that issue is. And maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a relationship that needs to change or needs to move forward. I, you just need to give it to the Lord. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in, maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's in your vocation. But the Lord is, has been knocking on the door. He's inviting you to respond here today. I'm going to pray. And Rick's going to close. But if God has been speaking in your heart, give us, please, take time to do business with him. The stuff can wait. You won't regret it. And watch God work in ways that will blow you away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness, Lord, that knows no end. Lord, you know every heart that's here today. You know every story that is here today. You haven't missed a thing. Lord, I know there's not a single story that's here today that you can't breathe new life into. I know there's not a single story here today that you can't do amazingly more than, a week, than any of us could ever imagine. I'm surprised I'm here. <laughs> surprised Rick's here. Because it was you that was at work through your mighty power for your glory. And so, Father, we, we give ourselves to you. May you Work, may your work here accomplish today through the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now give it up for my friend. Will you do that? We, um, you know, Friday, when Friday rolls around, some of you need to take your little note sheets with you because you, you just got some, some stuff that you can spend some time with the Lord with. It might be some, something that you're just afraid of or just whatever it is. You, you know God wants you to do something and it's in that time of prayer and fasting that uh, you can say, God, man, when I heard that speaker this past week, I know you were talking to me, but I'm afraid. Or maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's some, you know, Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There's stuff. I just, I'm afraid I'm going to lose all my stuff, God. And so take those notes with you, and uh, I know God will, will speak to you as you continue to look at those notes. Um, Lonnie and Nancy are going to go out to the Welcome Center. I know a bunch of you want to go out there and say hi to them and all that. Some of you want to go introduce yourself to them. So they'll be out in the, the Welcome Center. The altar room will be open, even over in... The, the venue, we have the altar room. In case you want to pray, you want someone to just dialogue with you right now. Okay, everybody stand, let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, the word that we heard today from Lonnie. And Hebrews 11 is one of those great, great passages. By faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so, by faith, so-and-so. And Lord, here it is. And by faith, Rick. By faith, Joe. By faith, May they just put their own name in there. You want us to really believe you and help us, God, to be a church family that really does, by faith, we believe you. Give us a, a great afternoon, Lord, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay?